This episode of the Local Hustlers podcast is brought to you by Audible. If you're listening to this podcast right now, then I'm going to assume that you would also enjoy listening to audiobooks. Whether you're interested in business, history, comedy, science fiction, or romance, Audible has thousands of titles for you to choose from. We want you to try out Audible for free, so if you head to our link, you'll get a 30-day free trial and a free book. So go to audibletrial.com slash local hustlers podcast to redeem your trial today. Again, that's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash local hustlers podcast. You're listening to the Local Hustlers Podcast, your go-to source for connecting with small businesses and entrepreneurs in the East Valley. Get ready to be inspired by local entrepreneurs as they share their stories, mindset, best tips, and advice. And now, your co-hosts, Dallin and Eric Huso. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Local Hustlers Podcast. This week, we're super excited to be here with Andre Whittington with Opemia Consulting. How's it going, Andre? Yeah, it is. Yeah, finally yeah. starting to cool down a bit. Yes. Um, good stuff. Take a couple of minutes before we dive into the business and give us a little bit of a background on your life. Sure. So um, originally, I am born and raised uh, New Orleans. So I'm a New Orleans native. I uh, spent my entire life um, in New Orleans, um, the Lower Neck War. Uh, Ex-military or military veteran. Spent about four years uh, in the military infantry. I spent some time in Korea. Uh, Fun fact about that, I was 17 years old when I joined the military. I just knew I needed to get out of New Orleans. um, And that was the only way. I just didn't see myself going to school uh, because I was not, I was always smart, but I hated school. Yeah. Um, I just felt like it was, uh, I just hated school. And so, spent some time in the military, uh, did some construction for a while. um, And then I realized that in order for me to really progress in life. Um, the way the world is kind of built, you either have to go to school, come for money, or start a business. So I decided I'm gonna go to school um, and hated it. Uh, spent uh, like four years in college. Uh, spent some time at Brown University in Rhode Island. Um, I had a full ride to go to Brown's uh, Master's of Public Health program as well as the PhD program in Public Health. But then, I spent some time just talking to PhDs, students that had PhDs. They spent most of their time doing research, writing papers, publishing papers. That's not a life I wanted. Um, (laughs) I'm more of a fast-paced type of guy. I love to take risks. And so I said, I could continue on this track, going to school to do everything that everybody wanted me to do, or I could go and work for a company, climb the ladder, and get paid to learn. And so what I did was I went to work for Comcast. Um, So I spent about 11 years at Comcast. I started out on the phones, answering phones, troubleshooting customers' issues, climbed all the way up to the top uh, while I was a senior leader working in uh, the Philadelphia office for corporate, uh, managing all of their strategy as well as their tools for um, our customer-facing employees. And so after I did that for a while, 11 years at Comcast. I had about 10 different positions because I was really aggressive. (laughs) Like I would uh, write up job descriptions that I felt that the company needed and I would send them to senior executives and they would always say, okay, I'm good, so why do you feel like we need this? And then I would, you know, plead my case. Mm -hmm. And on three occasions it worked. They created jobs just for me to do exactly what I said that I wanted to do. And so 
from there, I said, you know what? I'm getting bored with this. It's time for me to take another risk. Um, and so I jumped out and I started my own consulting business. And uh, with my consulting business in the first year, uh, we are, we'll be crossing that six-figure mark. Um, we have clients from San Francisco to Atlanta um, to Boston. Um, I also do some pro bono work. I have a client that I'm working with in Australia, uh, helping them revamp their strategy for the hospital. And so for me, a couple of things were really important as I was growing up as a kid. One, take risk, um, be extremely aggressive in what you want to do. And two, don't let anybody you know deny you the opportunity. And so one story I'll share, and then I'll just let us jump right into the questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was 12, and it was a summer program that was for... Uh, kids who were not as smart or considered at risk when I was in uh, elementary school. And so the program was called Camp High Life, but I was this kid in school, I always got straight A's, but I wanted to go to this program. They got to go swimming, they got to go on field trips. Um, my summer was always spent cutting grass, you know, helping my mom, doing work. And so I lied to my mom until I got into this program. <laughs> and for the entire summer, I pretended that my name was Edward White because I wanted to be a part of this program and not do work. I wanted to do something different. And so I made it all the way to the end of the summer camp. And I remember I was like one of the top kids there. I was like, you know, doing better than all of the kids because they were all bad kids. I was a good kid. And so at the end of the camp, you get to give like a little speech. And so I remember my gifted teacher at the time, she came into the classroom I was in. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh. So I tried to hide. And the teacher was like, um, have you seen, have you heard of this student, Edward White? He's really good. Now, Edward White was one of the most problem kids. Ever. <laughs> and my gifted teacher knew that. She was like, where is he at? Edward's not in this class. And so she was pointing, and I was ducking behind a chair. She was like, that's Andre Whittington. <laughs> so I had to go to the principal and call my mom. I got in trouble, but the principal was like, Andre, if you just take half of what you did this summer, and apply it to your life, you could be successful. And so <laughs> my entire life I've always lived to be extremely aggressive in pursuit of the things that I desire. Um, and just not allow people to tell me no, you know. So that's me, my life, you know, a little bit about myself. <laughs> what an amazing story. <laughs> they make movies about those kinds of stories. <laughs> it was it was wild. It was a it was a crazy little life, man. Yeah. So, uh, did you ever connect with Edward on that story? No, 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 no. no. So he doesn't know he was misrepresented? He, I think he got wind of it when I was in elementary school. I can't remember, but um, they they talked about me for the rest of the time I was in elementary school. Um, even when I was in high school, when I went back and I met with my um, gifted teacher, she would always joke, all right, Edward, do well, Edward. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to hear more about how that story has kind of influenced the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, but quickly, you mentioned that you did go to college for a bit. Um, did you have something particular that you were studying at the time? Or what was kind of your life plan at, at the time when you started to go to school? Oh, man. So, like I said, I was always um, smart, as people would say. Yeah. But when it came around to just traditional book knowledge, um, I was out of school for so long, I lost some of that. And so when I did end up going to college, um, I remember being so excited because they were, I got a letter and it said, you were accepted for provisional uh, purposes. I was like, oh my God, I got accepted in this provisional. I was so excited. My sister at the time was the director of um, one of the health centers there. She was like, 
I said, you don't tell anybody that. Provisional is bad. I was like, what? Oh, I thought it was like a scholarship. <laughs> and so I started uh, when I was in school. I was like, I don't really know what my path is, but I know I need a degree. The world says you need a degree. So I went to school. Yeah. So I started to study sociology. Um, and I think that's where I had my first taste of entrepreneurship was in school. And so I started a um, health awareness uh, program. It was called Help a Brother Out, Help a Sister Out. And it was really about health education um, because it was a school in Mississippi where it's the Bible Belt, right? They, you Just abstinence is the way you protect yourself from STDs. And so I was like, no, that's stupid. People, it's just college. People are going to have fun. And so I uh, negotiated with the president of the school to put uh, health zones across the campus, which consisted of uh, health education, um, uh, contraceptives, things like that. And so from there, Brown University came down and got wind of it. And so they were really excited about it. And so I negotiated with Brown and I was like, you know, I would love to come there to see what you guys are doing so I could bring some of that stuff back here. And so I began to see school as not a way for me, not a place for me to really learn, but a place for me to grow my entrepreneurial spirit. And so I began to form relationships with, uh, at the time it was the president of Brown, Ruth Simmons. Um, one of her deans, uh, her name was Valerie Wilson. And all of those conversations led to me getting summer internships. And at one point I had, it was crazy. I had Harvard, John Hopkins, and Brown University fighting for me to come to one of their schools to do a summer internship wow. because the previous internship I did was on um, gestational diabetes in America, Samoa. And it was such a good presentation. They wanted me to come to their schools. And so Brown, I was able to go to Brown because their dean of public health, we just had a conversation and she was just straight up like, Andrea, if you come to me, I promise I'll pull you under my wing. I'll teach you everything I know. And I think that was the most important relationship for me because she taught me things about class, elegance, um, wealth, you know, the different ways to carry yourself, which I wasn't, I'd never grew up around. And so from there is where I was like, you know what? I could take all of this stuff I've learned, go to corporate America and climb a ladder. And she was pissed. <laughs> she was upset, you know, uh, but for me, when I went to school, it was, I need to get an education. But what school did for me, was open my eyes to the possibilities that you don't really need education. Yeah. You have to know how to build relationships. You have to know how to network, you know? Um, so, yeah. Love it. And then how, what are some ways that you've kind of seen not the importance of networking relationships kind of influence and affect your life from then? Oh man. In so many ways. So when I started at Comcast again, like I said, I was at the bottom. Yeah. Um, Just like customer was, service. Role. Yes. Straight yep. customer service rep. Making with 12 bucks taking, an hour. Yes, yep. Eight bucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's 12 bucks today. Yeah, the 12 bucks an hour was eight bucks when I started. And so what I would do was, what I learned in, in, in college was to ask the right questions. Identify what are the gaps, what's missing. You know, learn how to ask those questions so that you get the information you need. And so what I did when I was at um, Comcast was I would go to the key people, the top leaders, and just ask questions. Not any of those ridiculous questions like what keeps you up at night now. Like, what are your top strategic priorities for the next six months? Oh, wow. And far as what, Andre? And I would say, no, what are your top you know, strategic priorities? And then I would always listen to our uh, earnings report to learn about the financial side of the business. Um, and so for me, building those relationships, just being the first person in the room 
whenever I had a chance to be in a conference with leaders, I'll be the first person there. I'll be the last person to leave. Um, and when I would ask questions, so like my first, one of the roles that I got was a manager of learning and development. So I managed the entire learning and development function for the Southern region of um, the United States for Comcast. I don't have an education background, but I asked the right questions. You know, I would go into these meetings and I would say, so what are you guys missing? What they were, were missing was people to be able to understand data, to tell the story, the narratives. So I remember every Saturday morning I would go to the office and I would teach myself Excel, teach myself formulas, know how to interpret data and stuff like that. And so for me, that was it. Just build the right relationships, ask the right questions and know who's the most powerful person in the room. And it's not always the leader. Most of the time, it's the administrative assistant. <laughs> so once you you know connect with those individuals, they'll tell you exactly what you need to know. So. Yeah. And I also love what you talked about just with uh, when you described your job, how you're basically getting paid to learn an industry or just learn skills, um, which a lot of people don't think of it as because school, you kind of think of it as the only way to get an education where you're paying for that. But with a job, a lot of people don't realize is you have an awesome opportunity to get paid to, yes. to learn something. Did you just kind of naturally figure that out or did you have um, a parent or a role model that kind of you know tipped you off on that? No. So my uh, family, and my, my mom and my dad, their education stopped I want to say uh, seven and eight grade respectively Um, what sparked that in me was again a door was shut Um, there was an opportunity where you could take a rotational assignment um, at Comcast but you had to come from college in order to do it in a rotational assignment they will move you through the company every two years Um, but you had to go to one of the colleges that they deem is really respected right the Harvard's the Columbia's yeah. or Wharton or whatever. And so what I said, you know what? Okay. That seems like that's the way they're grooming their executives. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do exactly the same thing. And so I started off again on the phones. I went into the learning and development department. I was a trainer. I was a training manager. I moved over to run our processes, um, business processes, where I learned a lot about data, data science, the integration of data. Um, from there, I moved in over to oops, to manage uh, the quality programs. So I began to learn more about speech analytics, you know, customer experience. Uh, from there, I moved into uh, tools and strategy. Um, and then from there, I moved into uh, almost like an internal consultant to Comcast, which led to my last role where I would manage all of our uh, frontline tools. I was over compensation modeling for commissions. Um, as well as building out the performance management strategy for the organization. And so all of those different um, roles that I was in gave me one little small advantage over whoever I was applying for the job for. Um, And I remember when I first moved to Arizona for Comcast in Tucson, um, I outperformed someone that had a PhD in education for a learning and development role. And again, it had nothing to do with traditional knowledge. It was because I had such a depth understanding of the business. You know, I knew the numbers, I knew finances, I knew how to build relationships. Uh, Whereas this person, they had a traditional education, but they didn't understand business. And so they were really upset that they didn't get the job. But, you know, hey, just the nature of the game. man. (laughs) Yeah. So you've touched a little bit on your entrepreneurial spirit starting to grow through different you know events in life and talk to us just about that journey of of kind of what your mindset was what your original plan was and then how that shifted to the idea of starting up your own consulting business yep so 
my idea to be an entrepreneur started when I was in college. Okay. Um, but I didn't have the capital. I was broke. <laughs> I didn't really have the credibility, right, to say, hey, I can come help you turn your business around. And so for me, and I didn't have the courage. I mean, I was scared. I mean, funny story about college. Um, I remember there was a job for someone to take over. It was an assistant for like Homeland Security or whatever at the, at the campus, which really wasn't a real job, but it was like an internship. Mm-hmm. And so I applied for it. I got it because no one else wanted it. <laughs> and I used to walk around the campus with an empty briefcase. Nothing was in this briefcase. Absolutely nothing. It was empty. <laughs> but I would walk around and every day I would tell myself, I'm going to be a business owner. You know, we're going to be an entrepreneur. And so I knew I needed to learn the game, get a really good understanding of business, build my credibility, and then have some money saved up to where when I do jump out there, I won't be afraid. Um, I'll just go running back to corporate America. Um, and so it was around 2015, I said to myself, I said, okay, I'm going to give myself until I'm 40 to work for corporate America, and then I'm going to leave and start my own business. And so August 22nd um, was my 39th birthday. I started Opemia last year. Um, and I walked away from corporate America this year. And so I hit my goal, you know, and so for me, it's I've all, I always have a plan, you know, and I always write things down and I just stick to it no matter how terrifying it is. Um, but again, I just was always aware of what I needed to do in order to make that step. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's talk a bit about Opemia. Give us a little idea for our listeners, you know, what it is exactly what you guys do. And then we'll dive a bit more into the business. Oh, yeah. So Opemia Consulting. um, we uh, we provide uh, strategy uh, consulting to businesses. Um, we also we just received our talent um, optimization certification with Predictive Index. Um, so now we are a certified talent optimization um, organization, and then we also offer CRM solutions uh, through HubSpot. Um, and so we do a ton of work with small businesses um, as well as nonprofits. Um, and for the past year, I've been working with an organization out of Atlanta um, called Our Village United, where they have a 12-week um, business incubator for businesses. And I've been working as a consultant uh, for them to ensure that this program is effective. And we've uh, brought about 70 businesses through this uh, program in the first year. Um, so that um, we, are, we just secured a partnership with Meals on Wheels in San Francisco where we will be developing all of their training, new hire material, onboarding, um, really helping their HR department um, just operationalize everything. And so, yeah, I mean, we are just in the trenches, you know, going through a um, business model innovation uh, pivot where we will be rebranding everything. So the colors and things that uh, you see on the website now will be updated. Um, Again, I look at business through the lens of evolution. And so as we continue to grow, the business should do the same. So, yeah. For sure. So it sounds like there's a couple different categories or th- different things that you guys specialize in. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go through a couple of those. So yeah. The consulting side of things. Is that you that does it or do you have, you know, do you hire consultants that help the businesses or how does that kind of work? Yep. So it's me and my partner right now. Okay. Um, and the plan is to hire more consultants. And so what we do is first we help businesses really improve their operation model, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes businesses may come, they have either, they have two problems, one or two. You have the right strategy, wrong people, right? Or you have the right people, the wrong strategy. 
And so we help businesses identify where at in your business are your biggest pain points. And so we tackle your strategy, your talent, as well as your customer experience, because something is broke down in those particular areas. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's 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 incredibly rewarding um, to sit with a, with a uh, executive and you're asking the questions around, you know, what's your value proposition to your customers? What's your customer segment? Who are your customers? Who's your customer base? And a lot of times they don't know. So strategy, right? That's a huge challenge. We could fix that for you. Sometimes you may ask them the same questions and they'll have it down to a T and you say, okay, so where's the bottleneck? You begin to look at their talent, pull back the layers of their people, their personnel, and they're not in the right role. They don't have the right talent. So now it's a people problem. And then when the people and the strategy is solid and it's really good. Okay. So what about your customers? Your customers are not coming back. The marketing that you're putting out there is not leading to sales. Right. You've kind of plateaued. So let's look at your CRM solutions and let's see what opportunities we have there yeah. to uh, fix. So that's pretty much how we approach it. Um, and we do it fun. I mean, this is like rewarding for me uh, because it's something I'm really passionate about. For sure. So what would be a typical business that you're seeking, you know, when seeking for new clients? Uh, you mentioned small business and nonprofits are your, are your uh, target. Uh, when are you looking more for startups? Are you looking for people that have been in business for a few years and have kind of plateaued? Like, where do you see your sweet spot client? For me, the sweet spot is really between businesses that has less than a thousand employees for me, um, and those that are either you are struggling to scale, you're kind of you're finding yourself going backwards where you're just struggling to stay afloat. Um, those are the ones that I really love to work with. And then the ideal business, which is always hard to secure, is the one that's really looking to like pivot, to change their entire business model, um, where innovation is really, really important. Yeah. Like, I love those. And for the startups, um, starting in January, what we're going to begin to do is offer packages to businesses that are looking to start up. Because one of the challenges that I ran across is, I won't even say the company name because, you know, I just won't say it. But it's a company out there that people will go online and ask to apply for EIN. They charge them all of this money. EINs are free. It's free to get an EIN, right? But people will pay to get an EIN. Uh And that's it. That's all they get. They don't get any articles of organization. They don't get help with a business plan. And so what I want to do is to be able to offer some of those resources at absolutely no cost. Right. And I want to be able to help people start their business. Um, I was reading a statistic the other day here in Arizona, um, and I, I can't pull it down, but GoDaddy has a website, and it's uh, GoDaddy Venture Forward. And if you go on there, you can actually look to see what is the impact when someone starts a business in a community. The impact is far greater than when someone just gets a job, right? From being able to hire someone, the economic impact that it has on our economy, and so for me, I really want to help businesses start their business and then offer those consulting services so that they can begin to get to a point where they are sustaining and thriving as an entrepreneur. That's cool. What does your relationship look like with the businesses in terms of do you just take a look at the business, kind of give them a plan and then they're on their way? Or is it more of like a, a recurring service where you continue to work with them like over time and just always find new things to help them with and work on to improve the business? Oh, yeah. So my vision with any of the, the, the clients that I uh, partner with is long term always. Um, and if we get to a point where, you know what, Andre, we are good. We don't really need the consulting services anymore. 
um, I always on all projects offer 30 days of post uh, consulting support okay. and that's at no cost. Right. Um, I have some clients that still reach out to me by phone um, and I don't charge them anything. It's just to me having that client relationship where you're running up against an issue. You have to ask. You need a, you need a question answered or you just want to bounce something off. Shouldn't always be a charge for that. Yeah. You know, so me and relationships that I have with uh, clients are um, formal, but informal as well. Um, and I always look for the long term. You know, I, I don't see myself as a traditional uh, consultant um, because I want to help you along the way. And my goal is really to transfer that knowledge to you or your team mm-hmm. so that you could get in run. You know, you don't need me, but it's a million businesses out there. So I don't feel like I need to keep keep holding on to you. You know, it's just, hey, let me give you what you need, give you that knowledge and then you can thrive. Yeah. You say you don't see yourself as a, a traditional consultant. What are some other things that make you feel like make you different and help you stand out? I think some of the things that will help me stand out uh, from your traditional um, consultant. Uh, number one, I'm not going to charge you just for all of the work that I'm doing for you. Right. I'm not going to say, hey, when we meet, we're going to spend 30 minutes and I'm just going to ask you all of these questions. You're not going to be able to tell me anything. And then the next time we meet, I'm going to charge you. There have been times with my clients where we have met for months on end. I never charged them a dime because for me, it's all about trust. Um, I think that any business relationship should be built on trust. Um, I think one of the things that make me unique as well is whatever your business needs, um, even with my uh, client in Atlanta that I'm partnering with for her business incubator. Um, when I came on board, there were some processes. There were some things that I felt, you know what, this could really be enhanced. And I just did it. You know, we have a philosophy where we say, you know, do more than what you pay for. That's not a traditional consultant way of thinking. <laughs> right. And so we live by that. Um, always, you know, give your best, of course. But to me, doing more than you pay for means in the quiet hours where your client can't see you doing certain things, you're doing that to take this project to the next level. Um, so I think those are some of the things that makes us a little different. That's cool. And how does your pricing structure work? Is there like set prices? Can people go to your website and see and pick out different packages or is it pretty customizable depending on the business and what their needs are? So right now it is customizable. And so what we're going to be doing um, in January of 2022, I mean, it's only January that's coming up, <laughs> but what we're going to be doing next year is to be able to offer those customizable packages. Yeah. Um, because what we've, what I've come across is that sticker shock is real for uh, clients. And if you're running a small business, you know you're struggling to maintain your uh, personnel, your team. You're struggling to maintain your bills. One of the things that I don't ever want is for price to get into the way. Yeah. Because for me, as when I was growing up, there was always a barrier. It was always a door that was shut, and it took me years to get beyond that. And so, if I can give businesses an advantage by offering packages that make sense to them, make sense to their books, and if we can still offer a high quality of service, we're going to do it. So what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months um, is to look at our packaging and to be able to offer certain packages to our customers that says, if you're struggling in strategy and it's not a huge lift, this is the price point that we'll have. And we'll have a range. Um, but even right now, we don't just have a set price. It's really based on the first question I always ask after I get done knowing what their services are, what's their budget. And I always try to come in really close to the midpoint of whatever their budget is because I don't want to break the bank. Yeah. You know, and I think 
my motto, even when I was at working um, in corporate America, the money will come. You do good work, you know, impact leads to income. So <laughs> I like that. What would you say to someone who who's running a small business right now, struggling in one way or another, but just really, you know, worried about that money aspect of paying someone and, and worried if, you know, it's going to be worth the money they pay for it. What would you say to kind of encourage them um, to, to kind of take that jump and, and get the help that they need? So I'll say this to anyone that's um, a little afraid of or worried about the money. Um, you could pay now or you could pay later. And for me, it's much better to invest the money now, even if it's, you know what, Andrew, I don't want a consultant. I am going to go out and pay for a course. And learn as much as I can about this particular topic. Do that, right? And and the the, the worst thing that a, that an entrepreneur can do is to not do anything, right? And so I think that if you see that your business is struggling, um, you see that you need to and make some minor investments. Do it, invest it, invest it now, because what's going to happen with strategy um, and with talent, the longer you put it off, the worse it's going to get. The more costly it's going to get. Um, so, you know, my biggest uh, message to anyone that's thinking about investing in their business is to do it now. You know, before I even started being an entrepreneur, I think I probably invested maybe six or seven thousand dollars into my own learning. You know, even now as an entrepreneur, I'm still investing heavily in, hey, I need to go and take this course. I need to pay for the self-learning um, because you're never the smartest person in the room. So yeah. always something more to learn. Yeah, always. for sure. <laughs> Okay, so if you own your own business, then chances are you've put off sleep before. Actually, no matter what your occupation is, I'm sure you've experienced some sleepless nights. But did you know that a lack of sleep or snoring could actually be the effects of a sleep disorder? Sleep disorders are no joke. Every year, 23.5 million people go undiagnosed from a sleeping disorder. That's why Robert Taylor started TaylorMade Sleep Services, a telehealth sleep clinic to help diagnose and treat people with sleep disorders. Taylor came on our podcast earlier this year and shared a lot of important information with us on the importance of sleep and an in-depth look at his online-based platform. TaylorMade Sleep Services focuses on educating, treating, and coaching their patients. Their professional services include remote consultations, expedited delivery of a home unit, treatment options, and prescriptions. Taylor truly has a passion for what he does, and his mission to educate and help people with sleep disorders is truly inspiring. Is there a chance that you or someone you know might suffer from a sleep disorder? You can schedule a free evaluation today by going to tailormadesleep.com or calling 480-524-8418. I want to go back uh, to something you said that uh, impacted me. You, you mentioned that when somebody gets a job, it has a certain impact on a community, but it, it pales in comparison when somebody starts a business in a community, right? You grew up in an underserved community. Um, how can we how can we instill more of an entrepreneurial spirit in in these underserved communities where they see that there is a path out? There is a path out of poverty, and it's taking that risk to start your own business. What what ideas do you have to really create that mindset Man, in some of these communities? It's like you're in my head right now. <laughs> So in July of this year, um, I actually started my nonprofit, and it's the Opemia Empowerment Center. And we haven't gotten off the ground just yet because I've never ran a nonprofit in my life. So I'm investing in my knowledge. Um, I'm taking a, I'm, I'm, uh, I just joined and got accepted into an incubator that teaches me everything about nonprofits. I'm learning so much from it. 
And my goal is to take that nonprofit and launch it here in Phoenix in underserved communities to be able to highlight to, you know, teenagers, adults, you know, young adults that the path to wealth and to prosperity is not just about money. You know, it's about freedom. A job doesn't really pay you a check. They pay you for your time. Um, and so there are different ways that you can rise above the day to day, check to check. Entrepreneurship is one cool way to do it. You have so many people, right? Even just starting a T-shirt, having a clothing line, right? Little kids being able to sell lemonade, you know, and I think when you look at certain communities, lemonade stands, people see them as, oh, these little kids have a lemonade stand. You're teaching your child about entrepreneurship at a young age. You don't see that in disservice, you know, disenfranchised and poor communities. They're not trying to build a lemonade stand because the mom probably would choke them. You take these lemons and take them out the house to have a lemonade stand. But there are ways you can bring that education to those communities. And so for me, um, the empowerment center that I'm launching is something that I really want to pour into um, to give back to the community and turn scholarships into investing in kids that are interested in STEM, that are interested in starting a business right encourage kids to take risk you know and so i think for me that's that's where it starts i think the awareness piece is is huge because once you open up a door to a kid in their mind open them up to something new the sky is just the beginning love it love it. i can't wait to see where that goes <laughs> yeah that's super cool and love what you said about it's not just about the money it's about the freedom and ultimately kind of the reason that a lot of people want money is because right. of the freedom that it provides to you so um, it's awesome that you have such a passion for, for you know, bringing that knowledge, and that mindset to people. And like you said, once you hear it, it really just kind of opens up all the possibilities. Yes. Are, is there any sort of like book or podcast that you listen to that kind of opened your mind originally to, to those ideas? Man, I read so much. So I would say the first book um, I read that just blew my mind. It was a few, but the first one was The 48 Laws of Power uh, by Robert Greene blew my mind um the alchemist um i forget the author of that one blew my mind Quello. yes yep. the greatest salesman in the world yep amazing <laughs> yes blew my mind um the 50th law with 50 cent the reason why i like that one was it's taking from the 48 laws of power applying it to the urban the grimy life and it's giving you a way where you can do these things in corporate america so I would say like those books were transformational for me. Um, yeah, those, those were the ones that were really transformational for me. Yeah, those are some awesome books. And for people that don't totally, you know, have that or understand that mindset, yeah, those are some good places to start to kind of yes. open your mind to some of those those ideas about money and freedom. Yes. Awesome. Would love to kind of go into um, just kind of some of your experience that you've had with, with the business that you've worked with. I'm sure you have a lot of insights into you know, what stops businesses from doing certain things, what empowers businesses to do certain things. So I'd love to just kind of, you know, pick into your, your mind and your brain a little bit. Um, the biggest thing for a lot of people listening is is just that initial step of getting started in business. So um, I don't know how many startups you've worked with, but from what you've seen, what do you see as some of the biggest hurdles that stop people from actually, you know, pursuing their dreams, pursuing freedom um, and getting started? Fear, biggest one. Um, and I, I'm a... Um contributor for entrepreneur.com so i do some writing for them oh really and i wrote an article my first article it was called uh take the risk or lose the chance and in there i really talk about something that's dear to me because that's my life philosophy 
And so anyone that's thinking about starting a business, do it. Like, get your EIA in first. Think about the business you want. Do your market research. Identify who's out there doing it really, really well. And go study their website. For me, I studied McKinsey. I studied the Boston Consulting Group. I studied Accenture. I studied all of these big companies. And they all started small. None of them started out to be billion-dollar companies. They all started small. And so if they can do that and they can build that, it took relationships. It took having the courage to do it. And so for me, if you're interested in starting a business, research the businesses that are doing some amazing work in the field that you're looking to do. And then go apply for EIN. It is totally free, right? And then once you do that, set up your your bank account, go register with the state, get you a DUNS number, you have a business, you're an entrepreneur now. You can begin to build your business credit. None of those things are risky. Not one of the things that I just shared will cost you enough money to, that will make you homeless or put you out of your home. You don't even have to leave your job. Like one of the biggest things that I always tell people, um, like the, the, the one of the greatest lies that people tell you is you need to leave your job to be an entrepreneur. No, you don't. Your job could fund your company, could fund yeah. your business. Right. And so if you think about it through that lens and you're saying, OK, I'm going to go out, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. You're learning. They're paying you to learn on the job. Take that money, start your business and then keep running it in parallel. And then when you get to that point where, you know what, I'm good, you could walk away. Yeah. Um, so that would be the advice I would give is just start, you know, and then there's a really good book. Um, it's called Business Model Generation. And so it's it's about 200 or 300 something pages and is written by maybe 50 or 60 different authors. But what this one does is gives you the blueprint of building a business model. Hmm. And it talks about everything about building a business model. So, yeah, I would say get that book. You wouldn't have any fear anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Now, you did that. You you were in corporate America and ran in parallel starting your business. You mentioned that you set a goal. When I'm 40, I want to be doing this. Uh, did you set that goal because you noticed that uh, things were taking off or... Was that just a random goal that, hey, you know, when I'm 40, I want to be be at that point? Like the point of my question is for somebody who wants to start a business, is in corporate America or has some other job, you know, just to give them a little direction yeah. of how do I know when it is time to yes. take the jump? That's the hardest part, knowing when. Like it's so hard. It was hard to walk away from a six-figure salary, right, and to... Ooh, I may not even get a check this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would say for, for me, when I felt that I was not getting value from the work that I was doing, right? Like I went on vacation recently um, to Kabul, spent like 10 days there. And I dreaded coming back to work because I was still at corporate America. I couldn't even enjoy the last couple of days of the trip because I had to come back to work. I knew it was time to go right there. Right. And so I think one of the things that because I said I set a goal for 40 because I said to myself, by the time I'm 40, I should have a family, have some kids. I want freedom. I want freedom to not have to go to this office every single day. I mean, I don't have a wife and kids, but I want that freedom. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I what I've learned by being an entrepreneur, I wake up every morning with a clear mind. I wake up every morning, not looking at my phone to see what meetings I have this morning, right? And a lot of my counterparts were on the East Coast, so our meetings would be at 6 a.m. They didn't care. 
right? And so every morning I wake up, I create my plan for the day and I just knock out my day. You know, if I want to leave a little early today, I can. But I know that Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to have to pick back up and finish what I had to do. But I'm doing this all for me. Mm -hmm. And it's just value to me, you know. And my time is my time. Yeah. Whereas when I'm working for corporate America or any other job, my time is their time. Um, And so that's kind of what led me to say, okay, it's time for me to roll out. Did you have any fears, whether it was when you were getting started or when you quit quit your job? Was there anything that you were kind of fearful of that kind of was initially holding you back or made you kind of hesitant? Absolutely. I wake up every day still scared. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wake up every day. I mean, every single day as an entrepreneur, I will never lie to anybody. It's terrifying. Yeah. But it's a healthy terrifying. It's a healthy fear because it's, okay, Andre. I'm not going to do anything today. I'm going to lay in the bed and I'm going to watch Netflix all day. And as I'm watching Netflix and I'm relaxing, this little voice in the back of my head, all right, Andre, uh, you, you need to get up. You need to do something. You need to go do some research. And so it's a healthy fear. And it's not like a fear when you're working for someone. It's a totally different. Like I remember when COVID hit and my job was 90% travel at the time. Um, and... I was so afraid because now we can't travel. Am I going to get laid off? As an entrepreneur, your fear, I can manage that fear. Like my fear, am I going to land a client today? Heck yeah, I'm going to land a client because I'm going to get out here and I'm going to beat the streets and I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm in control of that. Right? And so I think that it's, it's just a different level of fear. But I have to tell you, every day I wake up, I am terrified. <laughs> but it's fun. I love it. Yeah. You know? I love that insight. Yeah, I've never really thought about like a healthy fear and, yeah. and having a good relationship with fear. And it's funny because you talked about how that's kind of the main thing that stops people from getting started, but you've been able to create a, a positive relationship with fear. How do you think people can kind of balance that relationship and not let it stop them, but actually use it to motivate them and use it to improve themselves every day? Yeah, so is <laughs> one thing that, um, that caused me to have this healthy fear. Yeah, I was reading something i can't remember uh but it was about a man who died and he went into this warehouse um and his friend died as well his friend was died very very happy this other man he died not so happy and so they went into this warehouse and the happy friend the warehouse he went into there was nothing on the shelf it was totally empty the other friend he walked into the warehouse and it was full of all kind of stuff and so he was asking the questions like, why is his warehouse empty and why is mine full? And the guy was like, well, his warehouse is empty because he lived his life fearless. He did everything he wanted to do. He didn't leave nothing to chance. He just went out and he just lived his life. The other guy who died unhappy, everything in the warehouse was everything he was afraid to do that he, if he would have just tried, he would have accomplished everything he set, out. he set himself out to do. And so for me, when I think about that fear, when I think about that, I mean, it gives me chills right now. Because I used to be so afraid to do anything. And when I read that, I was like, what the heck? I don't want to have I don't want to die with a full warehouse. I want my warehouse to be empty. And so anybody that's listening and has that fear, what's the worst that can happen? Right? In life, we have two. We have a choice to either do something or do nothing. And I tell you, most of the uh, most unhappiest people, because I was one of them, is those that do nothing. And for me, I'm always going to make a choice to do all the time. Take the risk or lose the chance. <laughs> yep. Great advice. Love that. So yeah, so it sounds like it's okay and it's it's normal to have those fears, but it's what you do with them is what really 
you know, determines your relationship with it. Absolutely. I mean, if anybody who says that they're not afraid, they're lying to you. Yeah. You they're know? not taking risks. Yeah. They, they might right. not be afraid, but they're in their comfort zone. Yeah. Right. But your comfort zone is scary too. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> at one point, I mean, if you have this amazing job, you have this great salary, COVID hits, you're in your comfort zone. They don't need your job anymore. Oh my gosh. What am I going to do? You know, and I was um, talking to some executives today and they were telling me about um, when stimulus payments were going out in minority communities, which are a lot of those communities consist of workers that all work in a lot of jobs that where they have that fear. The uptick for startups, for businesses and entrepreneurs were through the roof. As soon as the stimulus payment hit, businesses were being started. Really? Yes. And so it's even now you look at the workforce, the great retention is a real thing. People don't want to work. They don't want to go back to corporate America. I think COVID has done something that we needed for a very, very long time. It's pushed people over the edge. Whereas you were afraid you were in this comfortable job. You don't want to take any risk. COVID happened. Shoot. Everybody's taking risks now. People have they're in control. They don't want to go back to work. People are struggling to find people to come to work. People now are willing to take that risk, right? And so I would say use that as momentum um, to continue to propel yourself forward. Yeah. Awesome. How about businesses that have been established, have been going for a while, and they're trying to make that next step and, and scale their business? What are some things that you see that stop them? Is, is it still fear or is it just a lack of education or knowledge on how to do it? I know you mentioned you know people have either a lack of or they don't have the right people or the right mm -hmm. systems in place. What are some of the main things that you see that stop businesses from, from scaling and taking the next step they need to take? Comfort, right? Like I have this business model and it's working and I'm making good money, why am I going to change? Yeah. Look at Radio Shack, Blockbuster. You know, Netflix, um, love Netflix. They put up a um, post on LinkedIn a few days ago, and it was a billboard, and it said, we started out as a DVD company. What other motivation do you need? <laughs> and so when you think about businesses who are, they're at that point where everything is going good, we don't want to make a change, you are risking your entire business on the idea that you're good, you don't want to make a change. You look at all of the businesses today that are doing some amazing work, they are pivoting. Amazon, one of the biggest companies in the world, is pivoting, right? When they went to purchase Whole Foods, everybody was like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? Now they're trying to send people to space. So it's, you have to continue to evolve. If you want to yeah. be relevant, your business model has to change. Yeah. Yeah. How do you help people evolve and if, if they do know that they need to do something, but they don't know exactly where to pivot or what, you know, changes to make? What's your advice to someone on, on where to look for that? So for that, you, that's where strategy consulting comes into yeah, place, yeah. right? That's where you sit down and have design thinking sessions. That's where you sit down and you look at their business model and say, okay, it's time for some business model and innovation. Um, you sit down and you understand what are you, what are your current products and services and what market are you looking to get into? And then you do your market research. You identify what is the actual, you know, value of me going into this market. What is it going to take to penetrate that market? Um, and then once you do all of that, you got to look at your talent. Do I have the people to help me get to that point? And so a lot of times with businesses, especially small businesses, they may struggle to make those innovations or pivots because they have people who've worked there for years. 
And in order for them to get there, those people have to go. And so that's always a challenge for businesses. And so our one of the cool things that I love about our uh, talent optimization um, service, we can help you optimize the talent you have to move those positions where they need mm-hmm. to be moved so that you can get into that market that you're looking to get into. Um, so, yeah, that's probably my take on that. Cool. Yeah, let, let's dive into the talent optimization. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about talent optimization, it's more than just moving people into the right seats. So, you know, Jim Collins, right people in the right on the right bus and sitting right. in the right seats. It's also upgrading the people yes. that you have, right? And, and, and creating that. What, what do you do to help people, help companies, businesses uh, optimize their talent specifically? Yeah. So before I created this partnership with, or I secured this partnership with Predictive Index, I would lean on my um, learning and development background and my understanding of business to have these conversations. But that would take six months. Whereas with this talent optimization tool, it is about 60 years of data analytics that's backed by behavioral science, where an organization can come through, complete these assessments for their entire teams. They can look into inside of this tool from their assessment and the readout will tell them your team is either a one that focuses on processes and procedures. They're agile and innovative. They're one that's, you know, works on, real well on teamwork or they're a team that really just focuses on like precision. And if you're looking to move in these different quadrants, these are some of the things that you need to focus on. So it's a really cool and innovative tool that breaks all of the six months of work that it would take. We could do that in like a month or really not even that long, like a week. And you will be able to say within your team, if you need certain positions, you write your job description, you put it inside of this tool or this platform, it's going to tell you who within your organization is ready for that job right now. There's never been anything like that. And so for me being able to bring that to small businesses where they can say, I want to make these pivots in my organization, who's ready now? And if someone isn't ready now, you can then use that um, profile to go out and look for someone that kind of fits that, right? And it's based on cognitive and behavioral science. So it's really amazing. Yeah. Right. And what's the name of that tool? Predictive Index. Predictive Index. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds amazing. And you mentioned a couple of things that, you know, when I think of talent optimization, I think of, uh, you know, bringing out the best in an employee. So the employee brings the very best version of themselves to the work. That's when things get done, right? Yes. And you may also mentioned that, you know, when you don't feel like you're doing meaningful work, that's when it's time to step away, right? Yes. And when an employee is growing and they feel empowered and they feel trusted and they feel like they're contributing, they continue to learn and they continue oh. to grow. And, and it's, a, it's just this cycle that continues up. You mentioned a couple of things that really impressed me. Uh, you mentioned that you sent emails to leaders. Yes. Right. What a, what a phenomenal idea. And, and if, you know, if, if corporate America could ingrain that mentality of innovation into, you know, every line of, of the organizational structure, imagine the innovation that would happen uh, throughout, throughout businesses. The other thing that you mentioned was to ask the right questions, not a question like what keeps you up right. at night, yes. but, you know, what is your most important strategic initiatives for the next six months? How, how do you instill that mindset in employees? How, the, you know, those two examples I just mm-hmm. shared, 
you know, as, as a consultant, when you're working with small businesses, how do you help them develop that kind of a culture? Yes. And so I go right back to my days um, as a learning and development manager. You have to create a culture of innovation that's built on trust. And so one of the things that I would always do with my team is whenever I shared a vision, I shared it with passion and I talked about what we could look like as a team 12 to 24 months down the line. And I would encourage them to bring ideas. Like sometimes we would have sessions where we'd have like, um, I would call them innovation uh, meetings where we would just sit down and talk about the future. So what could this look like? What are some of the things that we could have? What's holding us back? What skills don't we have? And I would always put that on them. And so they would bring ideas to me. And I would always, I know sometimes ideas that they would bring, there's absolutely no way this is going to work. But go do it. But from them going out to do it, it may fail. I would be there to support them to build that trust. They would become courageous. And they would become extremely innovative. Um, and so everybody that was on my team during that time, they all went into bigger and larger positions. And it was because, you know, when, when you have a team or you have a business and you want your, your, your team to be innovative and um, take strategic risk, you have to build that uh, spirit of entrepreneurship within them. And where I learned that from, because it wasn't just on me, it was an article I read a long time ago um, in entrepreneur.com a few years ago. And it was on the intra-entrepreneur. And it was about being an entrepreneur within a business and have an entrepreneur mindset within a business. And how do you cultivate that as a leader? And so after I read that article, I remember I was on a plane flying to Philly. And I, as soon as I landed, I called my, um, my leader and I was like, look, we need to start doing these things. They did not get what I was saying. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about you. I'm just going to do it yeah, anyway. Yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and then like the next, like two months later, uh, we launched the first virtual um, training team at Comcast. And this was maybe five years before COVID or six years before COVID. But it came from that book, you know, and just being able to read and have that uh, passion to just take risk. Um, so, yeah, it's just about creating that fear. I mean, that um, building trust and encouraging your team to take risk. I love that mindset. I can't speak for you know anyone else, but I hope that all business owners would kind of welcome that entrepreneurial spirit with within their employees and kind of use that to further grow the business and not feel threatened by it. Because oh yes, yeah. I mean, it will take your business and your team to levels that you've never been. Uh -huh. Right. And for me, I want whoever I'm hiring, I want them to be smarter than me. Yeah. Right. Because uh -huh. I'm not always going to be the person to run the business. For sure. And one of the things I think that helped me out was. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of stuff like that. And, and I'm extremely humble. You know, like when I'm in a room and I'm in a meeting with people, I'm asking questions. I'm quiet. Yeah. I'm not really talking. You know, it's probably the most I've ever talked in a long time for a while. <laughs> but I'm always just quiet. I want to learn, you know. And even in my business, um, I want to hire people that's way smarter than I am. Mm -hmm. Take over the company. Right? I'll go sit on the board. <laughs> I'm fine with that. You know? So, yeah. Don't don't be afraid of that because you're going to do yourself a disservice. Well, you might be the smartest person in this room, so <laughs> I don't think so, man. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, one more aspect of the business that you had mentioned earlier was the CRMs. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could kind of briefly touch on that because that's a, a huge, you know, benefit to businesses that I feel like a lot of businesses aren't necessarily using or using as much as they could. So could you just kind of talk about, you know, what a CRM is and how you guys use that to help businesses yep. grow and scale? 
So our CRM solutions, customer relationship management is through HubSpot. And so we are um, creating our partnership with them, the same that we did with Predictive Index, where we're going to be able to offer our customers all of the suite of services that HubSpot has at a, at a very, very uh, reduced price, mm. but not just offer them the service. We'll actually be there to set up their marketing for their business, to set up their um, sales process, to set up their uh, customer uh, CRM tools, right? All of that, anything that they need to set up that's related to uh, their customer relationship uh, management solutions, we'll be able to set it up and consult you on um, those services. And you won't pay an extra fee. So everything that you'll be paying as far as your monthly subscription to HubSpot uh-huh. will be included in that service. Oh wow! So not only do you get someone that's helping you to set up all of your tools, you're also getting a consultant that can kind of come in at no cost, at no extra charge, right? And so that's a package that I really want to be able to offer to say, your marketing is struggling because you are targeting the wrong customer. Yeah. And I can help you understand that because this is what I do on in the, in the other space of my work. Um, and that won't be a cost to that business. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to add that uh, because I think that when you think of business holistically, it's your strategy, your people, your customer. And if we can knock those things out, we can help a lot of businesses. So That's awesome. Yep. Any other insights before we kind of get closing up here, just from your time working with business owners and entrepreneurs, anything for our listeners who either own their own business or are wanting to own or wanting to start their own business, any you know insights that we haven't kind of touched on so far that would be beneficial to them? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like entrepreneurs and those that are in business are extremely smart. Um, I think the, the thing that I would just share, maybe insight, don't do it for the money. As hard as that is to kind of grasp, if you're in business, you're in business to make money, don't do it for the money, right? Do not allow that to be your driving force. Um, I think when I first started out with my consulting business, the model I have right now wasn't the model I started out with. The model I have now was because I was passionate about serving people and really providing you know, service to businesses that are impactful. And that led to strategy, people, customers. And I would have never realized that had I just stayed in this for business, right? I could have just stayed a strategy consultant and charged X amount of bucks and try to spend, you know, focus on the money, the money, the money. And I would be missing out on adding value. I left corporate America because I wasn't adding value. And if you focus on the money, you end up doing what you were doing in corporate America, chasing a buck. Love it. Yeah, Andre, this has been an awesome interview. You've definitely uh, shown your value today. So for you know any listeners who have kind of been debating if, if a consultant is right for them, I think just from this conversation and listening to this, I think they can see how much value that you would provide to them and their business. So I appreciate all the, the insights that you've shared with us today so far. Before we get closing up, we got a quick game that we're going to play with you. Okay. And so how it's going to work is we've got a list of 20 questions that okay. we're going to ask you, and you've got a minute to answer as many of them as possible. Oh, man. And so, okay. We'll see how you square up against a previous guest we've had on the show. And I'm just going to pull this up. Oh. Awesome. You want to start us off yep. in three, two, one. Your dream vacation. Bora Bora. First thing you'd buy if you want a million dollars. My mama house. Favorite hobby. Traveling. If there was an Olympic competition for everyday activities, what activity would you have a good chance at winning a medal in? Cooking. A song you've been jamming to lately? 
Young Dolph large amounts. If you live to be 100, would you rather have the mind or the body of your prime self? The mind. Favorite holiday? Christmas. Favorite ice cream flavor? Butter pecan. Favorite fictional character? Spongebob. Favorite <laughs> smell? Vanilla. What's your nickname? Stiff. Uh, pet peeve? Chewing with your mouth open. Favorite restaurant? I don't have one. I love food. <laughs> uh, if you could switch places with someone for a day, who would it be? Jeff Bezos. If you had to eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Scrambled eggs. Uh, most ridiculous fact you know. I'll let you answer it if you want. <laughs> I have no <laughs> Nothing. idea. Nothing? No. <laughs> what did you say your nickname was? Stiff. Because when, um, <laughs> when I was young, uh, I was not flexible at all. And so all of my buddies could dance, and I couldn't. And they used to call me stiff because I would move like a board. <laughs> <laughs> and it stuck. And it stuck. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, I like that you're a SpongeBob guy. I am, too. Yeah, so. I love SpongeBob. Yeah. <laughs> Andre, as we wrap up, tell us about the name Opemia. Like, where did that come from? What does that mean? How does that drive the business, et cetera? Yes. So Opemia um, represents who I am at my core. Um, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And so Pemia is Nigerian for uh, all praises to God. And I added the A at the end for Andre, just to remind me that no matter what I'm doing in life, to always be grateful, to give thanks, but also to remind me that everything I'm doing has nothing to do with me. <laughs> so that keeps me humble. It keeps me grounded. Yeah. No matter how successful I get, I have to understand that it's not about me. It's about the work. It's about the service. And it's about the people. Awesome. Beautiful. Yeah, no, that's an awesome way to wrap things up. Um, Andre, give our listeners um, a chance to know where they can find out more about you, connect with you if they want to learn more about you and possibly you know, take you on as a consultant. Oh, yeah. So uh, you can go to the website, www.opemia.com. Um, I also have my office is downtown uh, to North Central, um, Suite 1840, Phoenix, Arizona, and the uh, towers on Central. Uh, my instagram i believe it's opemia underscore consulting um yeah so you guys can hit me up there um you can also give me a call on my cell i i or you could text me as well um it's 480-694-0993 um again and it doesn't have to be uh work related right it could just be hey andre i have a question about my business want to pick your brain about something um need a good 45 minutes to do that I'm also going to offer, um, I think it's a 45-minute free consultation yeah. um, as well. And so, yeah, if you need some help, you want to chat, hit me up, follow the business on um, Instagram, or you can always swing by. I'm in the office 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. Awesome. Appreciate it, Andre. It's been uh, awesome having you on. We definitely learned a lot from you today. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all for having me. This has been fun. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, okay, have a good week, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Just a few things before we go. First off, if you or someone you know is an entrepreneur in the East Valley, we'd love to have you on the show. Please get in touch with us by emailing us at localhustlerspodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at localhustlerspodcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please take a few seconds to rate and review and hit that subscribe button. It lets us know how we're doing. It helps us grow so we can reach more locals, entrepreneurs, and help small businesses grow. Thanks, guys.